0: Chapter 2 of Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Fair. Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. Chapter 2 The Fountain of Hate and the River of Love. The day was far spent when Ferrau, who had drawn the next place to Astolfo for the jousting with Argelia, came to the pavilion and sounded his horn with such fury that every beast in the wood fled in dismay. But nothing daunted was Argelia. He quickly laced his enchanted helmet and girded on his sword and mounted Rabican. Now Rabican was the swiftest horse of those times. He was so light-footed that he left no trace on the sand of the shore or the dew of the meadow, in battle and in tilting he was not the equal of Bayardo, the famous horse of Rinaldo, but in fleetness he was unsurpassed. And in the tilting with Ferrau, Argelia relied not on his horse, but on his golden lance. No time was wasted in words, and Ferrau charged in the full confidence that he would gain Angelica in the first running. But no sooner did the golden lance touch his shield than his heart failed him, his cheek grew pale, and he fell heavily to earth. But when he struck the ground, his vigor returned, and with it anger and shame and fierce desire. He remembered nothing of the terms of the contest. He forgot that no other weapon was to be used, and that the conquered was to give himself up at once. In vain Argelia said to him, You are my prisoner. Farao drew his sword and attacked the four giants who came to bind him. After a great fight, in which Argelia in true knightly fashion stood spectator, Farao killed the giants, all four, though from the last he received a blow that took away his senses. Argalia, with the courtesy of true knighthood, helped him to recovery, and invited him to enter his pavilion, and again reminded him of the agreement. But Ferrau hotly denied that Charles had the power to make any compact that should bind a knight who was not his vassal, and he showed, not for the only time, that his standard of honor fell somewhat short of the standard of Christian chivalry. Quite regardless of the claims of the other knights to joust for possession of Angelica, Ferrau asked her hand of her brother as if nothing had been agreed on, and nothing done. And Argelia was so enraged that, forgetting his golden lance, which whilst aiding Ferrau, he had placed against a tree, he attacked him with his sword. For a long time they fought without any result, because the armor of Argelia was enchanted, and the body of Ferrau, except in one spot, had been made invulnerable when at last after many fruitless blows they made a pause in the fighting farao renewed his demand for the hand of angelica and this time the brother impressed by his prowess assented on the condition that angelica would agree for without her consent he could do nothing but when the request was made to angelica she took no time for consideration but instantly refused as befitted a princess who was sought after by all the world the reason she gave for her refusal was that she did not like the complexion of the moor To Angelica, who was herself of the very fair race, which, as all tradition tells, was the first to conquer India, the swarthiness of the Moor was repulsive. And she said to her brother, I would rather drown myself in this water, or go begging through the world, than take this man for husband. And after this refusal she advised Argelia to flee away on Rabican, and join her in the forest of Ardennes, where she said she herself was instantly going, because the plot for the jousting had failed. The combat was renewed, and after a short time Argelia, as he was requested by his sister, fled away on Rabican, and was soon lost to sight, in spite of Ferrau's efforts to pursue. Now in his flight Argelia had forgotten his lance, and had also forgotten Astolfo, his prisoner, who had been watching the duel with the keenest delight. And as soon as Astolfo saw that the field was clear, save for the dead giants, he sought for his horse, and put on his armor, and in place of his own lance, broken in his fall, He took the lance left by Argelia. But when he took it he did not know its powers, but thought that except for the golden ornamentation it was a common weapon. And seeing that he was now left alone, he deemed it best to return to the city and tell the news to the rest of the knights who were waiting their turn for the jousting for Angelica. And first of all he met Rinaldo, next to Orlando, as already told, the most famous of all the paladins of Charlemagne. And Rinaldo was so hot in his love for Angelica that he could no longer wait in the city, but was already close to the jousting place at Merlin's Pine. And as soon as he had heard the story of the duel and the flight, without a word to him of the leopard, for so was Astolfo called, he set spurs to Bayardo and rushed away into the forest in pursuit of Angelica. And Astolfo went on his way to the city, and there he met Orlando. And though Orlando was more madly in love than Rinaldo, he kept his own counsel, and asked Astolfo, with a semblance of indifference, what was the outcome of the jousting. And as before narrated, except in this one case, Orlando never knew passion for woman. though in prowess and in vigour and knightly strength and in courtesy he was the mirror of perfect knighthood. And he was ever silent, and deep in his heart he kept his love for Angelica, and he listened to the babbling of the courtly Astolfo as if it were to him of no concern." but no sooner was astolfo gone than the great champion of christendom threw himself on his couch in the very abandonment of love and he longed for the sunset so that he might get away to the forest and find angelica and kill his cousin rinaldo and every moment seemed to him a hundred years and yet in spite of his love he was ashamed to leave the command of charlemagne except in secret and when at last night fell he put on a surcoat of the deepest red with none of his well-known quarterings and he took with him no squire and told none of his quest now the three suitors Ferrau, rinaldo and orlando in their search for angelica took different ways and the first to reach the forest of ardennes was rinaldo thanks to bayardo and in the course of his search he came upon a little stream of clear water that almost surrounded a grove of shady trees and in the middle of the grove the paladin found a beautiful fountain built of white polished alabaster and so richly ornamented with gold and jewels that it lighted up all the flowers round the grassy margin. And though Rinaldo knew it not, this was the fountain which had been built by Merlin with the purpose that, by its enchantment, Tristram might be cured of his love for Isoude. And the virtue of the water was this if any knight drank of it, the love he bore to his lady was driven from his heart, and in its place came hatred of equal passion. And what Tristram had failed to find was found by Rinaldo. Tired out by the heat of the sun and his long riding, Rinaldo dismounted from Bayardo and threw himself on the bank of the fountain, and there, with a deep draught of the cold water, quenched at once his thirst and his love. So speedy was the change that, as he rose to his feet, he wondered how he had come to follow after a thing so poor as Angelica. The beauty he had thought divine now seemed to him not only mean but repellent, in a word, He now hated Angelica as much as before he had loved her, and all his heart was changed by the power of the fountain. Proud in his new conceit, he left the grove, and after a time came to another stream of clear water. And here, too, the banks were lighted with flowers, and where his path crossed the stream was a wide-spreading beach, and a tall pine, and a green olive tree. This water, though the paladin knew it not, was the river of love and by no enchantment of merlin but of its own nature it fired with madness the hearts of the coldest and in the past by misadventure many a knight had drunk of the river and lost all his senses in love now rinaldo had taken so deep a draught of the fountain of hate that the water of this second stream tempted him not but enticed by the shade and the flowers he loosed bayardo to graze at his will and he himself lay down to rest and a deep sleep fell upon him and as he slept a wonderful thing happened after angelica had fled away from the combat between Ferrau and her brother she had wandered in the forest until she had come upon this river and tired and thirsty had taken of the water and the poets suppose that she was enticed to the river by the divinity that rules the loves of mortals who had been angered by the cold disdain with which she treated all her suitors and was determined she should feel his power soon after she had drunk of the water she came upon the spot where on a bank of flowers, Rinaldo lay deep in sleep. Suddenly, her heart burned with love for him. She tied her palfrey to the pine, and looking at the night, she almost fainted with love and knew not what to do. And the lilies and the roses spoke to her in the language of love, and with her white hand she plucked the flowers and pulled the leaves and gently threw them on the face of the lord of Montalbano. And he was suddenly awakened from his sleep, and he looked up into the face of the lady, and she smiled pleasantly in his eyes, and on the instant the countenance of Rinaldo was changed. He rushed to his horse, leapt into the saddle without touching the stirrups, shut his ears to the sweet words of the lady, and fled away at his topmost speed. And Angelica, bewitched by the water of the river of love, mounted her palfrey and followed hard after him, and as she rode she cried out to him to stay, and she made to him the same plaint that Venus made to Adonis, More than my life, I love you, and will you for guerdon give me death? Look back, I am no enemy, no traitor am I, but your true lover. And even if you mislike me, ride not so fiercely. Death lurks on every side in the rough forest, and if harm befall you, I shall die. Even if you hate me, ride not in such a fury. Why should you flee from me? See, I am not hard-favoured. Why should you condemn me? All others pursue me, and it is I that flee." and many sweet entreaties she made, but all in vain, and Biardo rushed out of the forest, and Rinaldo vanished from her sight. And much Angelica grieved, and she was drawn back by remembrance to the spot where she had seen Rinaldo sleeping, and in her passion she threw herself on the bank of the stream, and kissed the flowers on which he had rested, and at last in her sorrow she fell asleep. In the meantime, Farao had been searching the forest in a double quest, to find Angelica and to find her brother to take vengeance for his flight in the latter quest he succeeded first for he came upon Argelia fast asleep with rabican his fleet courser tied to a tree and farao though only a saracen was too courteous to awaken the sleeping warrior but to make sure on this occasion that their combat should have an issue he loosened rabican and drove him away then after tying his own horse he sat down under a laurel and waited and at last Argelia awoke and was troubled to find his horse no longer there But quickly Farao broke in. Take no care for your horse. One of us two must die, and he who lives can take my steed. And it was I who loosed your horse so that you might not once more escape by flight. And Argelia made reply. The fault was not mine, for I did only as my sister commanded. And now take war or peace as you choose, and you know well who had the advantage in our first combat." Then they fought, and for long without result, for the armor of Argelia was enchanted and could not be pierced, and so it was with the body of Farao, save in one spot. But at last Argelia, who was the more powerful, rushed on Farao and grappled with him, and they fell to the ground with Farao beneath. And as Argelia tried to crush the life out of him, Farao drew out his dagger, the poniard of mercy, and beneath the armor he plunged the steel deep into the side of Argelia. Footnote The dagger which the knights used was called the Poniard of Mercy, or simply Misericord, because it was used to compel the adversary to call out for mercy or die. End footnote. And the youth felt death coming upon him, and he said to Ferrau, One thing I ask of you, when I am dead, and on your chivalry do not deny me. Throw my body with all my armor into the deep river, and no man shall say hereafter that with such armor Argelia ought never to have been conquered. Let me be spared this shame." And Farah lamented over him, and vowed that he had fought only for honor, and he promised to sink the armor with the body, but he asked that for four days he might keep the helmet, since his own was shattered, and he wished not to wander without disguise in the enemy's country. And as soon as Argelia died, the other bore him to the river, and there let him sink with all his armor except the helmet and much the Saracen grieved over the death of the brother of Angelica, but as the story tells, he forgot the oath he had made, and kept the enchanted helmet far beyond the four days. In the meantime, Orlando had been searching for Angelica, lamenting his ill fortune and fearing she had fallen into the hands of Rinaldo. And at last, just as the search seemed to be hopeless, he came to the spot where the maiden lay asleep. Of all women of all times, Angelica was the most beautiful— A moon amongst the stars, says the poet, and as she slumbered, the flowers bent over her as if they loved her, and the enchanted river murmured of love, and love gleamed from her golden hair. And Orlando stood as if entranced and made no move to awaken her. He looked upon her face and knew not if he was dreaming or if he had been indeed uplifted to paradise. Long he stood still and worshipped, more enchanted than if he had drunken of the waters of the river. But in the midst of his reveries he was rudely aroused by Ferrau who forgot that he had killed Argelia, and forgot everything else but his love as soon as he saw Angelica. And with jealous anger he cried to Orlando, She is mine. I was the first to love her, and you must leave her to me or take away my life. And Orlando made answer, Go your way, Sir Knight, and seek not your own doom. On my faith I desire to injure no man, but your presence so offends my eyes that if you stay I must kill you. And the other, With equal anger and scorn, threatened Orlando, and quickly the swords followed the words, and a mighty battle began. And the clashing of the steel wakened Angelica, and fearfully she mounted her palfrey and sped away. And Orlando entreated Farao of his courtesy to defer their contest and to let him follow his lady, but the Saracen hotly refused, and vowed that only the survivor of their mortal combat should follow Angelica, and the fight that ensued was the longest ever fought by Orlando. But in this story the end is only to be told. And the end came in this way. There came in sight a damsel clad in black, and as she rode she struck her face with her hands and cried out in her grief, and the burden of her cry was that God or man would help her to find Farao in the wilds of the forest. And when she reached the fighting knights, as was the custom of those times, when to ladies were entrusted messages of the greatest import, both stood still, and the morning lady, with great earnestness, spoke to Orlando and said to him, Sir, although I know you not, and you know not me, I pray you to grant my request and stay this combat with Ferrau, for I am in deep distress, and there is no other aid but in this knight." And Orlando, who was the perfection of courtesy, instantly offered to release Ferrau. Now the lady was Fior de Spina, the daughter of Marsilio, the Moorish king of Spain, and her news was this. Gradaso, the king of Saracane, a country beyond India, had invaded Spain with a great host of over fifty thousand horsemen, and he had sworn to conquer Saracen and Christian alike. And already he had overrun Spain and shut up Marsilio and the remnants of his force. And Marsilio was seeking aid on every side, and had sent even now to Charlemagne himself to meet the common peril, but most of all he wished to have Ferrau at his side." Now the invasion of Europe by Gradasso was made not for plunder or for slaughter, or even for the honors of conquest, for Gradasso was so mighty that he despised all these things. But the object of the invasion was to get possession of Bayardo, the famous horse of Rinaldo, and Durindana, the famous sword of Orlando. And in those days a horse and a sword were often accounted of more worth than kingdoms and their peoples." But such was the love of Orlando for Angelica that, instead of returning to give his aid to his sovereign Charlemagne in fighting Gridasso, he set his face eastwards, and after many adventures he found Angelica besieged in Albraca in Cathay. But Ferrau departed with Fiordespina Spina to Spain. In spite of the alliance between Charlemagne and Marsilio and the union of the Christian and Saracen forces, the war went against them, and Gridasso forced Marsilio and the Moors to become his allies— and together they drove Charles back on Paris and put in peril all Christendom. The peril was evaded by the reckless courage of Astolfo, aided by the power of the Golden Lance, although he did not know its virtue, and deemed that his success was due to his own knightly skill and valor, as is told in another story. But before this happened, many battles were fought, and many adventures and combats were fulfilled. Are they not written in the history of Turpin, and made to live again in the verses of Boyardo? The reason of the defection of Marsilio from Charles, and afterwards for the easy advance of Gradasso on Paris, was the sudden disappearance of Rinaldo. For this paladin had been put by Charles in command of all the Christian forces, and he had been enticed away from his command, and far from Spain, by the devices of Angelica, whom he hated, but who, since she drank of the river of love, sought by every means to bring him under her heart's dominion. And when she had returned to her father, King Galifrone, in Cathay, she had released malagigi the captive cousin of rinaldo on the condition that he should by means of his magic bring to her rinaldo and at the first trial malagigi had succeeded for gradasso and rinaldo had agreed to fight in single combat without witnesses on the shore of the sea and malagigi had deluded both with vain semblances and at the last rinaldo had followed with what seemed to him the flying gradasso on board a deserted ship and when once he was on the vessel the semblance of Gordasso had vanished, and whilst the paladin sought for his enemy to no purpose, the ship, under the magic of Malagigi, sailed away far from land, with Rinaldo alone on board. And, guided by its invisible crew of spirits, it came to an island of delight where Angelica waited for her lover. But in spite of all her offers and enticements, Rinaldo again fled from her presence with the utmost loathing, and being once more carried away in the ship, he was led from one adventure to another, and at last he came to Albraca, and there took part in the siege, fighting against Angelica with hatred only equaled by her own love for him. The chief of the besieging forces was Agrican, king of Tartary, to whom Angelica had been promised by her father in marriage, and he was trying to get by force what he could not obtain by favor and on the side of angelica were many champions her suitors and most notable of all orlando against her were arrayed the kings and chiefs whom she had scorned and amongst her enemies was also Marfisa, the fiercest of warrior queens and unsurpassed in courage and prowess by any knight in that or any other age and the siege of albraca is as famous as the siege of troy Many were the combats before its walls, and many were the adventures that came to pass before Agrican was killed in single combat by Orlando. After Gradasso, defeated by the Golden Lance, had gone away to his own country, and for the time had given up his quest of Rinaldo's horse and Orlando's sword, a new and greater danger threatened Charlemagne and Christendom. The Saracens, under Agremont, the emperor of Africa, made a great invasion of France, being aided by their kindred in Spain, under their king, Marsilio. But before the main invasion, a descent had been made on the southern coast near Monaco by Rodomont, king of Sarza. He was the most terrible of all the Saracens, and he wore for armor an impenetrable dragon skin that he had inherited from his ancestor Nimrod, the builder of the Tower of Babel. End of chapter 2